All right, let's open up our Bibles. 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're at 1 Samuel chapter 30. If you don't have a Bible, please pick one up in the corner at the resource table where Katie's at. And um, yeah, you can follow along with us. So we're at 1 Samuel chapter 30. And we'll be reading as we go, as we unpack the chapter. Uh, This is our second to last sermon in 1 Samuel next week, Lord willing. We will complete the book. So we're at 1 Samuel chapter 30. Uh, This weekend, I had the opportunity on Friday to go on a field trip to Cedar Point. Did not ride that many rides. I was there uh, with kids as a chaperone, but the chaperones didn't walk around with the kids because we didn't want to ruin their coolness. So there I was uh, doing a lot of walking by myself. I did do a couple rides but I watched a lot of roller coasters. And then I finally did, I, I rode the Gemini. So Gemini is one of the old school, been there a while. And you kind of experience the gamut of emotions even on the, the Gemini. It's been 20 years since I've rode a roller coaster. And as I got on, there's those feelings of anticipation as we slowly keep going up the, the tallest peak. And then we get there, and I did not remember how much you drop when you drop. Just didn't recall that. Didn't, it's, I, I mean, I kind of had a vision what it would feel like. I felt like I was floating as we went down. And then a, a few weeks back, I had hurt my back. It feels pretty healed until I rode a roller coaster. And then all of a sudden, there was like one jerk, and I was like, whoa, my back is not healed yet. And it was twists and turns, and then I thought the roller coaster was over. And then at the very end was this, like, speed, like, turn. That's how they finish. I guess you're racing the other color of the, uh, the roller coaster, the, the riders. And once again, my, my back was throbbing at that point. And then they stop, they pull you up to the gate, and you're like, whoa. And that's what a roller coaster does. It takes you for a ride. You experience the full gamut of emotions in this concentrated adrenaline rush. And as I rode that ride, as I walked around Cedar Point and saw a lot of roller coasters of various shapes and sizes, I looked at them and I thought, isn't that what life is like? A roller coaster. We have highs, we have lows, we have twists and turns. There's times where we feel like we literally are upside down The ground drops out from underneath us. At times we feel exhilarated, other times we feel nauseous. We really go through the gamut of emotions and that is life. And that's what we've seen so far in 1 Samuel with David. He has went through highs and lows and it seems like he's been going through a lot of lows. But the one constant for David and the one constant for you and I is God. He is along for the ride with us. We can cling to him no matter where we are on the ride. So that's what we're going to consider in chapter 30, the roller coaster of life. Uh, if, we're gonna, if you're taking notes, we're going to first begin by seeing that David is strengthened in the Lord. David is strengthened in the Lord. Uh, if you remember the end of chapter 29, we'll recap it in a little bit. It's kind of a high point, And then all of a sudden... He goes back to his village and everything has changed in a bad way. 
And we're going to see how David is strengthened in the Lord in the midst of that. Secondly, we're going to see that David seeks after the Lord. He's got a very defining moment. He's got a decision to make, and it's what are you going to do in this moment? And what David does is what all of us should be doing. He seeks the Lord first. And then lastly, we see that David shares because of the Lord. So they actually get back everything they lost and some. And in the surplus, in the bonus of all they have, David shares. Others complain that it's not fair that some people don't deserve the sharing. But David realized the only reason that we have this bounty, this spoil, this surplus is because God has given it to us. All right, so let's begin as we see David strengthened in the Lord. Now, last week, God saved David from what? From himself. He was on the cusp of going to war with the Philistines against the Israelites. So he was going to be fighting and potentially killing his brothers in you know, in the Lord. He, he's going to go there. And he had fought so hard to not go against Saul. Now he was going to enter into battle against Saul. And yet God had spared him through the lords of the Philistines. He said, there is no world we're going to battle with the guy who there's a song that's real popular on the charts about how he's killed tens of thousands and the thousands that he killed would have been the Philistines and he's not going to fight in battle with us. So he gets sent back. So you can imagine David kind of being euphoric, being excited that he he got out of that mess and then he returns to his village. It's burnt to the ground and all the women and children are gone and that's where we pick up. Look at the great suffering. It says, now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and take captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with them raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. First, look at that great suffering. So David's celebration is very short-lived. He gets back. It's about a three-day journey. When he arrives, everything's gone, burnt to the ground. Families have been taken. Part of the reason this has happened is kind of a twofold, okay? Remember this. Number one, when, Sam, when Saul is rebuked, once again, why God had taken the kingdom from him, it always comes back to this. First Samuel twenty-eight eighteen. You did not carry out my fierce wrath against the Amalekites, against Amalek. I told you to destroy them. You didn't do it. So because Saul didn't destroy them, they were around to do what they were to do. Second reason why this happens is you remember David, when he was in Philistine for that year and four months, he was going around and wreaking havoc on people and they would kill everybody and leave nobody alive in the various places. Guess who one of the people that he attacked? The Amalekites. 
So part of this is retribution, part of this is revenge, part of this is the fact that, Dave, that Saul had not dealt with them. So it's the byproduct of Saul's failures and David's acts. But it, at this point with his men, it's, it's, we've heard it before, the straw that broke the camel's back. So camels, notorious for being beasts of burden for, uh, for animals that are carrying great loads. Now, could you imagine one little straw being the straw that was too much? Well, it could kind of happen over time. There's going to be a weight where it's just enough to come kind of crashing down. And we're seeing that amongst David's men. Remember, there's 600 of them. They've been loyal to David. They have have fled from Saul. They have done without. I mean, it is a struggle, but this was the straw that broke the camel's back because this time, notice what it says, they were bitter because they had lost their, their wives and their sons and their daughters. And I think we, we have to come to the realization, friends, that this kind of suffering that David experiences is not unique, okay? It's not the exception. Living in a fallen, broken world, God does not wrap a, a, a bubble wrap around Christians and spare us from affliction and adversity. Jesus says in John 16, in this world you will have trouble or tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That God allows heartache to hit close to home to his people. So do you have a proper expectation in the world? Because I think many of us don't. We have a warped view of reality because God is on our side, because we follow him. The natural progression of our thoughts is life will be easy and smooth sailing. That it will be filled always with sunny skies and no clouds, no rain. And that is a pipe dream. There are going to be times and seasons in our life where it's glorious like that. But often, you're going to experience trouble. You're going to have sickness. You're going to have financial pressure. You're going to have problems relationally. This is life prior to glory. Are you going through such a series of bad things in your life? Because not only do we see the great suffering, look at the God strengthening. Notice that verse 6. Notice what David doesn't do. He's distressed. People are going to stone him. They're thinking about stoning him. Why are they going to stone him? Because they're blaming him for their family being taken away. Understood. Understood. Understand what they're thinking. Like, we have followed you, David. Dude, we've been around with you for all this time. We put up with everything, and this is it. And it's your fault. You're the one to blame. You're the reason. You remember back in that cave, you could have killed Saul. We would be back in our land. We wouldn't be running. We wouldn't be hiding. And now my wife and kids are gone because of you, David. And David hears this and he knows he is at risk right now. And David doesn't do what? He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't point the blame elsewhere. What does he do? David was strengthened in the Lord. I mean, imagine, it's like he's a cell phone 
and his battery is really low and he knows the only place that he can get charged, the only place that he can plug in is with Yahweh and he does that. Notice the personal nature of his God. It says, but God strength, but David strengthened himself in the Lord blank God, his God. Elsewhere in the Bible, it says that we are his beloved and he is mine. There's that intimate, ongoing relationship with the creator that David thrives on. That David clings to in this valley experience. His own soldiers want to kill him. And he doesn't try to defend himself. He doesn't flee. What does he do? He strengthens himself in the Lord. I think one of the primary ways he strengthens himself in the Lord is recalling God's promises. Why do I think that? 1 Samuel 23, 15, 1 Samuel 23, 15, same language, same word usage. Jonathan comes to David. It's the last time that he sees Jonathan. And it says that he strengthened his hand in God. And then the very next thing he does after he strengthened his hand in his God is what? Is he recalls the promises of God to David that surely he will put you on the throne. And I think the way that David in the midst of this adversity strengthened himself in the Lord is he recalled, reflect, meditated on God's promises. That I anointed you king, I'm going to make you king, this is going to happen. Your own men aren't going to kill you, the Philistines aren't going to kill you, Saul isn't going to kill you. I make promises, I keep promises. I think it's what Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians 12.10, where he's talking about the thorn of the flesh. And three times he pleads with God, take the thorn. And God says what? Three times. No, no, no. But what Paul learns, what he gleans from that is when I am weak, then I am strong. And we see David, who seems so vulnerable in this moment, seems so strong because he strengthened himself in the Lord. Well, where is your source of strength, friends? Is it in yourself? Is it in your wisdom? Is it in your ability to problem solve? Or is your strength in the Lord? Is, is he the one you cling to when everything falls apart? Is he the one that you reflect on and meditate on? So I, I ask you, you know, are any of you in these valley experiences right now? Are you reflecting on the promises of God during this? Because these are the times you need his word the most. I think one of the reasons why, as, as, as Christians, that we really need to go back to a, pro, a practice that seems so far removed, and it's scripture memory. That we're meditating on the word of God and we're, we're writing it upon our heart. Because in these moments, these are the moments that you need to be able to go back. When you're battling anxiety, you need to be able to say, do not be anxious about anything but in everything with prayer and supplication, present your requests to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And then an hour later, you're anxious and then you go back to that. Or you go to Matthew 6 and says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Friends, we desperately need to reflect and remember and, and go to God's promises when life is going poorly. 
So we see not only David is strengthened in the Lord, second thing we see is he seeks after the Lord. After this power up with the Lord, it really sets David's agenda. First of all, let's go to verse seven. And he asked of the Lord. It says, and David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought the ephod to David and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, pursue for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So notice what David does here. He strengthens himself in the Lord. He gets himself right with God. He looks at the moment objectively. He's like, all right, the village is burnt. We don't know who came. They didn't leave a, car, a signature or a card. And we don't know where they are. I mean, this is a large area. It's not like it would have been easy to track them down. So he does what? He seeks the Lord. He does the first thing that you should always do in moments of crisis. Seek the Lord. I remember when I worked at my additional previous job and I did a tech job. So it was technical stuff and computers. And I remember one particular computer, computer I had to set up every week and the printer wasn't working and I didn't know. And I called the help desk and we troubleshooted all this, this stuff I was supposed to do. And then the one thing the person did, he's like, one other question, is it plugged in? And I'm like, well, duh. I never troubleshot that. And I, I got into the, the cabinet. I looked and there's the cord just sitting there. And I'm like, wow. I was like, I, I'm good. We're good. Thank you. And I hung up embarrassed because I didn't. And that's always the first thing that we're supposed to do at my job for tech is like, make sure the power is on. And I, I think we laugh and we scoff at that, but how often do you and I not do the first thing? And that's seek the Lord. We see crisis, we problem solve immediately. You might call your, your family member, your friend or whatever. We just, we try to, we act immediately rather than taking a pause, a timeout and say, you know what? In the midst of this chaos, we're just gonna go before the throne of God and we're gonna seek him and then after that, that's fine that we're proactive. I'm not saying we just pray and then we just sit there. But we need to seek after the Lord. And he does this. He goes to God first. First Chronicles 16, 11 says, look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. It's really the big contrast between David and Saul. Now, the last time we saw Saul, he sought after the Lord, but what happened? God did not answer him. First Samuel 28, 6, Saul inquired of the Lord, but did not answer. And the reason he didn't answer is because of his consistent unfaithfulness and disobedience when God did answer him. But David is still in a position in a relationship with God where God is allowing him to not only approach him, he is answering him. And that's what believers do. We approach God, we ask God, because we believe that God hears our prayers. God answers our prayers. Psalm 91, 15, he will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Well, are you seeking the Lord? 
Let's make it real practical right now in this moment. What is your greatest need? And I'm not even trying to over-spiritualize it. Like literally, what is your greatest need right now in your life? Is it relational something? Is it finances? Is it health? What is it? And then the second question related to that is, are you asking God about it? Because understand, there's nothing too big or too small to ask God. I love hearing kids pray because they pray such innocent prayers. They ask for ridiculous stuff sometimes. And sometimes I have to regroup some of the prayers uh, with my youth, with my kids. But I love the faith. I love the vulnerability they have with God. Because you and I, I think we often don't approach God because we think we're bugging him. We're annoying him. As if God's like, man, he doesn't want to hear about this. So we don't. We're like, I'm not going to pray to him. And friends, that's foolishness on our part. We have the God who spoke creation into existence, and he's saying, come to me, ask and you will find. Well, why are we not asking? Because not only does he ask the Lord, the second thing we see is he obeys the Lord. Look at verse 9. So David set out, and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Bisar, or where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and 400 men. 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. And they gave him bread and he ate. They gave him water to drink. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, To whom do you belong? Where are you from? He said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. And my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We had made a raid against the Negev of the Sherathites and against that which belongs to Judah and against the Negev of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, will you take me down to this band? And he said, swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master. And I will take you down to his band. Notice that David obeyed the Lord when God answered him. James 1.22 says, be doers of the word, not only hearers, deceiving yourselves. First Kings 2.3 declares, observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands. Because it's not just simply that you and I are called to seek and ask of the Lord. We are to respond to his answer. And I think that gets difficult at times, does it not? Because what happens when God's answer is not the answer that you are hoping for? What do you and I typically do? Let's be honest. We re-ask the question, don't we? You're like, okay, maybe I miscommunicated, God. That was not what I was asking for. And then he answers the same way and like, all right, let's do this one more time. That is not the, that's not the answer I'm hoping for. And David doesn't. David knows that he is going to be now going into harm's way. But because God told him to do it, God assured him he would be victorious. He does it. And notice even God's grace that he provides a sign for direction in this Egyptian that guides him. Well, are you obeying God's word and his leading? Even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, even when it's not the answer that you are hoping for. 
Because that's what obedience looks like. That's what following after Jesus is meant to be like. You understand that? If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And that includes the commandments that you don't like. If you love me, you will follow what I tell you to do, even when it's not what you would desire me to do. All right, so we saw David strengthened in the Lord. Saw the suffering, but the strengthening. We saw him seek after the Lord. He asked the Lord, he obeys the Lord. Uh, Lastly, let's wrap it up by looking at David sharing because of the Lord. Notice the spoil. Read verse 16 with me. It says, when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because all of the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all the Amalekites had taken and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds and the peoples drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. Notice the spoil. So he catches the Amalekites off guard. They are not anticipating anybody coming to get what they had just stolen. And only 400 of them are able to escape. The rest are defeated. Now, when somebody steals from people, do people always get back what they got stolen? Nod your head unless you're naive. No. I mean, often even when you report it to the police, they say, we will, we'll get back to you if we find it. Even like stolen cars, they might have parts of your car before it was taken to a shop, a chop shop, or you might get bits and pieces. But usually in those situations, you're hoping for the important stuff to get back. The other stuff, insurance, I'll replace, but I can't replace that sentimental family piece that we have. Well, he gets everything. Think about that. They get it all back. And then some. And then some. I think in the midst of it, and we'll talk later on with this, but I think there's even a little bit of an indictment. And David rescued his two wives. Just once again, a reminder of just David and his foolish decisions that will come back to haunt him. But God does. He brings him back. Because he's the God of victory. Deuteronomy 24, 20 verse 4. The Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. So he goes from a rainy day to a sunny day. He gets everything back. They get this huge spoil. They've gone from wanting to stone David to now the men are all victorious. Well, do you see that God is the God of victory? Do you see that God is the one who's with us even after defeats? So we see not only the spoil, but this is the key. Look at the sharing that goes on. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook Besor, and they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they did not go with us, but will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. Let's stop for a second. I want to see how honest you guys are. Who here would be, if you were one of the men that risked life and death, you risked yourself, went out to battle, and 200 men stayed back because they were too tired. Do you want them to reap the same reward as you? 
Raise your hand if you want them to reap the same reward. Raise your hand if you do not want them to receive the reward. Let's be honest. That's how we are. We are re- That's not fair. I mean, and I think they're arguing they're nice because like they can have their wife and kids back. We're being kind. We're not letting them not have everything, but like they shouldn't get the spoil. Because I think that's how we often are. We think like that. There's the parable in Matthew 20 of the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Workers come at different times in the shift. Some work the whole day, some work partial, some work at the very end of the day. And when pay time comes, guess what they all get? The same pay. And some people are just up in arms over it. Well, that's not fair. And in the parable, Jesus says, take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Continue on, because I, I want us to understand, nobody, these guys don't want to share, but then David gives an argument that is hard to go against. But David said, you should not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hands the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in the matter? For as his share is he who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule from Israel from that day forward to this day. When David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a present from you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. It was for those in Bethel and Ramoth of the Negev and Jatir in Aror, in Sifmoth, in Eshtemoa, in Rakal, in the cities of Jeromelites, in the cities of Canaanites, in Horma, in Borashan, in Akthak, in Hebron, for all the places where David and his men had roamed. Why does David want to be generous? Because God had been generous to him. You see, that's the key. The reason he is unwilling to withhold the spoil is the spoil is from the Lord. He gets it. That he has been the receiving on the receiving end of God's grace and mercy. And I think there are practical implications for you and I as we see this unfold in David's life. And the reality is if you any of you here are recipients of the gospel. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, understand this. Please do not leave here today without grasping this truth. And the truth is this. You are there by God's grace and mercy alone. Nothing innate within you, no good works you have done, nothing made you right with God. It was Jesus and him alone. And if you grasp that reality, how you deal with your fellow man and woman in this world is radically influenced. Because if I'm in this because of God's grace, they're not in it because at this point, God has not graciously opened up their eyes to the gospel. I should be praying for these people. I should be gracious and compassionate toward these people. Because I've noticed a pattern amongst Christians as we look at this world that is off its hinges. As we look at our culture and the direction it's going and, and it's a mess. And what we do, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, is we look at the world and we judge them just like the Pharisee. 
We look at them and they, they're, they're, they're gross, they're ridiculous, they're, they're stupid, they're disgusting. So glad I'm not them. Well, you were them until God graciously pulled you out of there. And if you get that, you act more like David than the other men. You understand that? Or are you generous because of God's generosity? You extend grace and mercy as a recipient of it. Because you should. Does anybody know what Murphy's Law is? Well, one, the, kind of in its, in its core function, anything that go wrong can go wrong, it's going to go wrong. And you might have had that day, car doesn't start, get to work, they have problems with a report you're working on, an employee quits, you get a phone call, your kid's at sick, throwing up at school, you go to school, you, you get home, you burn dinner, it's like one thing after another. You hear an alarm, you go down to your basement, it's leaking. Has anybody had a day like that? Maybe not as extreme. I think we've all experienced those kind of days in various capacities. David has been on the run. He almost has to fight his own people. He's been in caves. He's not been in caves. He gets away to find his wife and family kidnapped. One setback after another. And that's why I, I suggested life is a roller coaster. It is. It's filled with highs and lows, twists and turns, everything in between. It, it too will take you through the gamut of emotions. But here's the key and here's the encouragement, friends. We are not alone for the ride. The Lord is with us. He's doing something. He's at work. If God is for you, who can be against you? No matter your current circumstances, he is right by your side. Just cling to him during the ride. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the comfort and encouragement of your word. We thank you for what you've done with the saints in the past and what you're doing in the present. So we just pray, God, uh, wherever we are in that roller coaster of life right now, whatever we're going through, whatever uh, circumstance it is, we pray, God, that you would graciously help us to cling to you. May you get all the glory, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.